Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, where we podcast about national champions. I am Brett Hudson, and I am joined by Clint Lamb. Clint, what's going on? Not much, man. Uh, (laughs) Got a lot to talk about today. (laughs) You don't say. Uh, So we were just discussing before we started recording about the the postseason plan and how we'll kind of bridge some of the the bigger postseason podcasts into the typical schedule with Hunter and Cecil on the ever-popular basketball podcast, becoming more popular now that Bama's 5-0 in the SEC in, in that sport, but I'll let Hunter and Cecil break that down much better than than I can. Uh, so there will be more than than just this podcast is the point. So the point of today's show is to to look at a clo- in closer detail Alabama's 52 to 24 win over Ohio State in the national championship game. But before we do that, we have to let you know this podcast is brought to you by Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles. And when it comes to Homefield Apparel, look. We know y'all gumps, okay? We know how y'all are. Y'all are going to buy the national championship gear. We know that, and we love you for it. it you might as well get it from Home Field Apparel, so it's going to be super comfortable. And you might as well get it 20% off if you can with the promo code BAMAB on your first purchase from Home Field Apparel. I'm, I'm looking at the site right now. They have three national championship um, pieces of apparel up there right now. They have a white sweatshirt with the national, the official Alabama national champions logo. It's kind of like a, it's like a, a sketch mock type deal of the stadium in Miami with national champions 2020 on it. The football has a few palm trees on it. Another um, obvious homage to, to Miami. There is a gray short sleeve t-shirt with the same logo on it. Then there is a crimson t-shirt with a helmet on it with 18 for obviously the 18th national championship um with 2020 national champions on it so three national championship pieces of apparel at homefieldapparel.com if it's your first purchase you can use the promo code bama beat to get 20 percent off appreciate homefield apparel for making the bama beat podcast possible alabama 52 ohio state 20. Alabama lives up to its brand in putting up 621 yards, 464 of them through the air in their final game of a 13-0 national championship season. Six for 11 on third down, two for two on fourth down. They average seven and a half yards per play. It is just very, very fitting that this team did this kind of a thing offensively and in their swan song. Yeah. Uh, just, I'm looking at these numbers and it, it's incredible. Uh, <laughs> 15 and three touchdowns in one half. Yeah. It's just it, on in the national championship, you know, the, it, he does that kind of stuff against, you know, a very, 
Um, I'm trying to think of the other game where he actually did that in one half. It was recent. LSU, I believe. Uh, He's pretty close to it against LSU, I think, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it. but, you know, it, it's, it's as strange as this is to say, it's LSU. You know, that they weren't nearly the, the caliber of team that we saw in years past. So, you know, that, that wasn't overly surprising. You know, uh, Devontae Smith went for 200 yards against them last year. Uh, but to watch him do it on the biggest stage in the biggest game, literally, you know, days after winning the Heisman Trophy, uh, was just e- extremely cool. And it was very unfortunate that he ended up getting banged up. You know, it did certainly when it first happened, and you're kind of watching things unfold on the field, you start to wonder, you know, is is Ohio State going to be able to creep back up and make this a ball game? with a guy like Devontae Smith being out with a guy, you know, like Jalen Waddle being limited, um, you know, it, and it, it's just it, the entire thing to me was completely crazy. I, and what I'll need to do is go back and watch certain guys. Cause I haven't even done that uh, yet. Like I've gone back and watched the, the tape a second time. Cause there's the emotional factor involved with watching it the first time. Then the second time you kind of go through, you get a better feel for kind of how things, you know, but came to be now that you know what the result is. And then, you know, you start going back and watching individual players. I've not gotten to the individual players part. I've watched certain guys on certain plays, but I couldn't tell you what, you know, Dylan Moses did on, on every single snap yeah. um, or how I felt like his performance went. So that will come. And, but you know, there are certain guys, I mean, just incredible performance for, from Alabama's offense. Alabama's, Alabama's defense looked pretty good too. It did, and that's something that uh, I've been asked about uh, lately by, by my wife. Actually, uh, she uh, she it's it's fun because she also graduated from from Alabama, but she's never like covered it and, and doesn't to to this point. She uses her journalism degree in, in other ways, so she gives me. The, she, I live with the uh, with the unfiltered fan perspective, and she just kind of randomly asked me last night, like. It, it did the de- is the defense like actually good or did it improve to the point that this is what it is at the end of the season? And I, I think what it more boils down to is that they generate negative plays more more frequently. They're they're better at stuffing runs or or creating negative plays that are are really the most effective way to stopping a, a modern offense because even in in, in this game, you, you saw Ohio State generate six plays of, of 20 yards or more, plus a 17-yard completion from, from Justin Fields to, to Garrett Wilson that obviously just missed that, that threshold. So six plays of, of 20 yards or more, two of them for 30 yards or more. So with, with modern offenses operating at a high level with elite talent, you're not going to put up a – 175 yards allowed seven point performance you're just you're just not going to do that where you're you're best uh incentivized to to put your effort is is generating the negative plays that can force punts which which Alabama did Ohio State punted five times in this game and you look at what doomed Ohio State, they face a third and eight early in the game because their their first two plays got stuffed. There was the I think it was early in the fourth quarter where Ohio State went for it on fourth down and Christian Barmore just pwned the entire 
Ohio State offensive line to to stuff that for for nothing. There there are just plays like that here and there that that make all the difference in enforcing a, a punt and that's what you need to be really, really good defensively in, in this modern era. So looking at the the defensive performance in, in this game, I think it's less that they were just dominant because they clearly weren't. I mean, Ohio State put up 24 points. They put up 341 yards of offense. The the 6 of 14 and on third down and 0-2 and on fourth down were big situational wins for, for Alabama. So I think that's where – this game was more or less one on the defensive side of things for, for Bama. They were pretty solid situationally and they generated the negative plays or the plays for, for no gain that, that make all the difference in, in, in games like this one, ones that are projected to be shootouts. Yeah. Um, and I think that you summed that up, you know, fantastic. Uh, I, I feel like, that some Alabama fans still want that dominant defense that you had several years ago, and it's just not going to happen. You know, you can look fairly dominant against the vanilla-styled offenses that try to just line up and and do very basic things to try to beat you. Alabama can still, you know, just outmuscle, uh, you know, offenses or out-talent other offenses from that perspective and, and look fairly good. But when you're you're going against a, an old Miss style of offense or a Florida style of offense, or an Ohio State style of offense, it, it, I think the approach needs to be different. It, it, it needs, and this is for the fan base. I think it needs to be, um, you know, this sitting about going out here and, and, and stopping them. I understand when they're having actually having those sustained drives, they're converting on third downs. It's like you get frustrated because you're wanting them to get the stop. Because the sooner they get those stops, you're very confident in your offense to create some separation and take away your anxiety that is happening. But that is not the way that it works, you know, when you want it to necessarily. It sh- the approach should be get those key stops at different points in the game. You don't know when those points are going to come. Uh, but, you know, with the way that Ohio State started, you know, out of, out of their, I think, first five drives, they, they had three of them were scoring drives, two touchdowns, and a field goal. And then from that point forward, they only put up, uh, you know, one more touchdown for the rest of the game. You know, it was punt, it was the punt, it was half, it was turnover on downs, turnover on downs, and another punt. So, you know, the, the drive summary, I think, kind of caps it off nicely, where in the beginning, Alabama was getting a good feel for how healthy a guy like Justin Fields was, um, you know, how they were going to adjust. The out, you know, uh, Ohio State had a certain game plan ready with Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon goes out of the game, that alters their game plan. But at the same time, that also alters Alabama's game plan defensively because they knew that Trey Sermon was going to be a massive part of what Ohio State was trying to do. So Alabama early on in the game was trying to figure out, okay, how are they going to adjust or how are they adjusting to where we can make the necessary adjustments that we need to. That allowed that kind of it's kind of like when you bring a backup quarterback in who the, the the defense wasn't really preparing for. And sometimes that backup ends up having a little bit more success. It's because the defense didn't really see it coming and they had certain things that they were ready to do to attack that starting quarterback. And and so they're, they're, it, it just takes a little bit of time for them to figure out this backup guy. It's the same kind of situation as far as, you know, early on, it kind of gave uh, Ohio State the advantage not having. Um, you know, Trey Sermon out there in some ways just because it was the unknown factor, not from a talent standpoint what he could have given Ohio State. So 
I, I was very impressed uh, with the way that Alabama's defense finished uh, during the game. It, it, most fans were getting frustrated at the, or excuse me, at, at Alabama's defense, and I was getting frustrated at, at most fans because it's like everybody was talking about going into this game. Ohio State's gonna have success offensively. It is a hundred percent going to happen, and then when it actually is happening on the field. You get a bunch of people who are acting shocked and surprised and wanting to fire Pete Golding, and they don't understand. And I'm like, I mean, I don't, I don't know where how you don't understand. Like it, <laughs> uh, it so, <laughs> like it just as I'm sitting there watching it happen. And is it frustrating? Absolutely, but it was expected, and I think that that makes it a key difference. One, one more thing on the defensive side of things, Brian Branch, dude, like he. What a big postseason for for him. Malachi Moore takes that that injury in the SEC championship game that that ultimately kept him out of both college football playoff games, which which sucks for him. It's kind of a a bummer of a way to end a freshman All-American season. But Brian Branch comes in. He has a big PBU in the red zone of the Notre Dame game in the semifinal. He has three pass breakups in this national championship game. Like he was had a good head on his shoulders. I thought he would be someone that could find his way onto the the field. It ended up being Malachi Moore at star and primarily DeMarco Hellums at money that, that changed a little bit as uh, DeMarco had to go to safety a couple of times to, to fill in for, for Daniel Wright. But uh, he showed why I personally was so optimistic about him in the, in the preseason because he, he comes in in difficult situations, having not been a starter all season and just balls out in, in these two games. It's, it's hard not to like the, the future of, of Alabama safety position with Malachi Moore and, and Brian branch right there. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that you also summarize that pretty nicely. You know, it, it's kind of strange how, you know, Early on, it was this, you know, the, the, the projected starter was Brian Branch. That's who everybody kind of thought was going to step up, and people were wondering, okay, what is Alabama's defense going to get out of that true freshman? And then you start hearing about the, the good plays and the good things that a guy like Malachi Moore is doing, and you start saying, man, that's great. Uh, they'll be able to play, you know, both those two guys. You're adding some depth there. If Malachi Moore is playing well, you'll probably see him a lot at safety because we just assumed that Brian Branch was going to be the starter at corner. And then that that narrative started to shift and kind of go in the opposite direction as far as, you know, Malachi Moore taking over. And, of course, you know, really um, from very early on, you you Alabama fans saw why. He was a, a difference maker, whether it be against the pass or against, you know, stopping the run. He made impactful plays in both facets. And, you know, but you also saw the, the splash plays from Brian Branch when he would come in situationally. And it gives you a lot of excitement for the future because Alabama is bring, continuing to bring in a lot of quality, you know, recruits on the defensive side of the football but you also got guys like Will Anderson who are really coming on strong. A guy like Tim Smith who really started to get better as the year progressed. Uh, you got Malachi Moore and Brian Branch. You got these true freshmen, these first year guys that you know that you got at least two more years of following this year, and and, and could end up being a lot longer than that, depending. Um, but it, it just it gives you confidence with where things are heading. Uh, and so I think that that's you know huge when, when you start thinking about Alabama's defense and you start saying, man. Patrick Sertan has been a staple for several years. He's he's going to be you know gone. 
uh, you start talking about Dylan Moses, the, the likelihood that he's gone. I understand he didn't play up to the standard that a lot of people had hoped that he would coming back from that knee injury, but that you, you look at that situation and you say, that's a guy who you felt like was, was, was you know, one of the faces of your defense and that you were really excited to get a, back this year. He's going to be gone. You're trying to find his replacement. Uh, and that kind of can cause some some worry. But then you look at this freshman group and you say, well, this is how Alabama is able to you know, reload, not have to rebuild. Is just that you already – Alabama does a great job, I feel like, of the guys who are ready to be on the field making plays on a down-in, down-out basis. They do a great job of figuring out a way to get those guys on the field, like a Malachi Moore. The guys who – you know, are, are ready to contribute. They figure out ways to allow them to contribute. At Tim Smith, they slowly start to bring him on, you know, a little bit more as the season progresses. That really helps him from an experience standpoint, from a getting comfortable standpoint. But it, it set him up very well to be able to take over a much larger role in 2021. And, and it's just, you know, it's the Reuben Foster factor. It, it's slowly getting those guys involved and not pushing them out there until they're ready. And that way they are just loaded up with confidence by the time they do step on the field and, and end up having a ton of success as a result. So I'm, you know, personally, I'll go ahead and say, I think, I think the days of Alabama have a, having a dominant defense that just, you know, smacks the, the heck out of opposing offenses. I think those days are gone. But with where Alabama is going offensively and what they should continue to be able to do, even without a Steve Sarkeesian or some of these other guys like a Devontae Smith, a Jalen Waddle, maybe a Mac Jones and Najee Harris. I still am very excited about that side of the football and their ability to put up points. So I like where Alabama is starting to build their defense from the standpoint of continue to try to get, you know, depth and playmakers in the secondary, but pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, whether it be, you know, interior guys you know a tim smith is a big body guy who can stop the run but he's also extremely athletic a very marcel darius type of player on the interior that can can create some havoc you know getting after the quarterback but then it's just loading up on these edge players outside linebacker types that's going to be able to complement you know a high-powered offense because if your offense is scoring a lot the opposing team's offense has to be scoring a lot and that means that they're probably going to have to be throwing the ball a lot. So you need guys that can get to the quarterback, and you need to have a lot of them. And Alabama's building their roster that way, and I think that it sets up well for them in the future. Uh, Will Anderson Jr. embodies that pretty perfectly, right? And, and he wasn't the only one in, in that recruiting class. He was the one that that kind of ascended his way to immediate playing time. But you saw Drew Sanders there a little bit, and you, you still have – you still have um, – Chris Braswell waiting in the in the wings there. You still have that guy in, in that same recruiting class just waiting there. You're getting more of them in the upcoming recruiting class. Dallas Turner is uh, signed, and they got who's the one they added at the very end? The LSU, the former LSU commit from Florida. Yeah. Um, oh man, I'll, uh, I'll look it up to. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name just because you know. Team, it's hard to pronounce. If I remember yeah, correctly, yeah. Uh, it's it's something. Is it Coat? Um, Keanu Coat. Yes, that's it. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 Not, not hard to pronounce. Just uh, just different. Keanu Coat. Yeah, that's that's him. Uh, so they're they're adding more in, in the upcoming recruiting class in, in Dallas Turner and and Keanu Coat. Uh, so so you're right there. Alabama's definitely prioritized pass rusher types in their in their most recent recruiting classes and. Uh, I think that'll show in their 
in their future team builds. There was another aspect of, of this game that I thought was very emblematic of this season as a whole. So it was fitting that the game went down this way. I'll, I'll go into that on the other end of the break. This is the Bama Beat Podcast. And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles. Y'all know about Wickles by now. It's a family recipe that is 90 years in the, in the making right here in the state of Alabama. They'll give you pickles, relishes, okra, a sandwich spread, and much more. Go to WicklesPickles.com to learn more about all of their products. You can hopefully find them in the pickle aisle of your local store. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. The part of this game that I thought was very emblematic of how Bama's season had gone to date was the end, the ending part of the second quarter. Alabama had done this thing most of the year where their offense is just consistently putting up touchdowns and they're waiting for you to blink. They're waiting for you to not match them over a two or three possession span where at which point you find yourself down 17 or down 21 and you're facing this death machine offense that is not going to stop. Therefore, the game is effectively over because they're going to keep scoring. They're going to make it impossible for you to match their uh, their pace and you can't catch up to them because you can't stop them from scoring. And I, I thought the stretch at the end of the second quarter perfectly embodied that. So they force Ohio State to that field goal with about five minutes and 21 seconds left in the second quarter. Bama goes five plays, 75 yards to score a touchdown in two minutes. Ohio State, three and out punt. Bama, three plays, 60 yards, touchdown in 41 seconds. I believe that was the the touchdown that Smitty scored when he got one-on-one with a, with a, with a linebacker. Tough Borland. Yeah, he got, he got one-on-one with Tough Borland and just ran right past him for, for a 42-yard touchdown pass from, from Mac Jones. Bama goes up 35-17, to 17, and at that point, the, the game is over. Like the, the, game, yes. the game is over because, again, Bama's up 17 at that point. No, 18 at, at that point. And Bama's offense does not slow down under, under any circumstances, so you can't really hope to catch up to an offense that is constantly putting points on the, on the board, and, and they would score. They would be the first team to score in the second half, too, on a 20-yard field goal from – from Will Reichard. So I, I thought that stretch was very fitting of, of this team to win the game that way because they do that. They've done that in basically every game this year. They've, they've had that stretch where their defense gives them a couple consecutive stops. The, the offense meets those stops with quick touchdowns and you blink and the game goes from a seven point lead to a 24-point lead or a 28-point lead, and then it's just over. It's It was very fitting that this team had that stretch again in this game, considering in basically every game except the Ole Miss game, they've had that kind of a stretch in every game. That is such a great point and such a great way to put that because – you're absolutely right. You know, uh, that is exactly what Alabama has been able to do. And that's why I, I think that I've, you know, it's it's not that I've been, you know, completely okay with the way that their defense has played this season at times, 
But it, for me, just watching them, it, it kind of became about just those one or two key stops. And it coming at various points in the game against Ole Miss, it came a lot later in the game. But, you know, it was just a constant back and forth. But they finally, when they held Ole Miss to that field goal, you immediately you immediately knew, okay, it's going to take an onside kick or some kind of turnover or something for Ole Miss to be able to make this, you know, back into into any sort of game. Because from this point forward, Alabama's now got a 10-point lead or whatever it was, a double-digit lead and or excuse me uh, a, a two score lead and it's now going to take Ole Miss getting some kind of stop against Alabama for them to be able to to make up that difference and that's exactly how you know what to me and I made this point on Twitter when when but early in the second half Alabama went on a a very long I want to say it was like 16 plays and, and went for you know somewhere in the seven minute range I know it was over seven minutes I just don't remember how much but in at the end of that drive, they chose to kick a field goal. So you're now midway through the third quarter. They kicked a field goal. And I remember thinking, well, they were already up three scores. That put them up, you know, now 21 points. That's great. Now Ohio State has to score three touchdowns. But by that point, Devontae Smith had gotten hurt. Jalen Waddell, just, at, you know, watching him, extremely nervous, uh, you know, kind of wondered. I mean, surely they're not going to put more on his plate with Devontae Smith getting hurt. But at the same time, now you got Waddle and Devontae Smith out. You got, you know, Landon Dickerson. He's already out. Mac Jones, if I'm not mistaken, he had already kind of shown that he had gotten banged up or that he was, you know, had some kind of lower body injury. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, um, you know, if you're with Alabama's offensive line and their run game and Najee Harris, if they go for that fourth and short instead of kicking the field goal, then, you know, you could I really think that they probably convert. And then if they finish that drive with a touchdown, they go up four scores. And now there's just no way, no matter what's going on with Alabama's offense, uh, no matter how much they're limited moving forward then, you know, there's just no way that I think Ohio State's coming back from that. But what was interesting was even with all those things happening, Alabama still found a way to have offensive success, uh, which for me, it's not that I didn't think that other guys were capable, but it's just, you know, Ohio State still has a very talented defense. And, you know, and this is the other interesting part of this entire thing, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts because I'm trying to remember his name, first of all. I want to pull it up so I can – uh, say it correctly, but the Ohio State defensive coordinator, um, man, he has just been. No, it's definitely not Greg Schiano. That's what Kerry uh, uh, <laughs> Combs. Com- yes, Kerry uh, Combs. So he has been just completely destroyed for you know running a four-four defense and having a, you know a linebacker on Devonte Smith in that situation and all those different things. Um, and I know I've completely kind of changed topics here, but it's just something that I kind of wanted to get out there. It, it, I feel like I'm, I'm treating Ohio State's defensive coordinator like I'm treating Alabama. I'm having to treat Alabama's and Pete Golding all the time, where I got to go defend the guy. You're going against Alabama's offense. They're they're going to beat you regardless of what you do, uh, it, because what can what will happen is if you're dropping seven eight guys. Uh, to try to stop Alabama's passing game and stop Devontae Smith, the guy who just won the Heisman. And that was everybody's point. You know, this guy just won the Heisman Trophy, and you've got a linebacker covering him. What do you do? And that's such terrible coaching. Well, let me tell you, if you drop seven guys 
uh, or eight guys or whatever, and just to, to, to try to make sure that you're stopping Alabama's passing game. They got the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, the guy who won the Remington, the guy who won the Outland Trophy. They have the guy who won the Dope Walker Award for the best running back in the country who's a power back. They're going to run it right at you, and they're going to have plenty of success doing it that way. It, with Alabama, with the, the what they had collectively on offense this year – you were in a lose-lose because if you try to run a balanced approach to stop the run and the pass, then they're going to they're gonna destroy you with both because you can't give enough attention to outman Alabama's run game unless you're given extra attention. You can't do enough to stop Alabama's passing game with the weapons they have in Mac Jones and a good offensive line unless you're giving extra attention to that. So Ohio State's approach going in defensively was – we're going to do everything we can to take out Najee Harris in the run game. And that's going to put us at a huge disadvantage in as far as, co- uh, you know, covering the pass. But it, it's not like, I mean, you know, Najee Harris just finished number five in the Heisman voting, you know, he just, and in, in a lot of other years, he would have won the, the award. So it's not like, Oh, you know, they completely neglected a Heisman trophy winner. In my opinion, Alabama had three guys who were worthy of winning the Heisman Trophy, and it was a quarterback and running back and a receiver, there was just no way that Ohio State could do anything to have any sort of consistent success with all that being thrown at them. So for anybody that's out here calling for Kerry Combs' job and saying that he, you know, it, it was a, a poor performance by him, he had a game plan. You, you, you pick one aspect of Alabama's offense, and, and, and you sit there and say, okay, we're going to do everything we can to stop that, and then we're going to pray. You know, maybe just maybe, uh, Mac Jones is ha- is having an off game. Maybe he 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 makes some kind of uncharacteristic turnover, which he did, by the way, um, with that fumble. But maybe he throws an interception. Maybe that's how. But it, what we don't want Alabama to do offensively is have these long, drawn out drives, which Alabama did have some success doing that. But by running the football, chewing a lot of clock because we feel like we're going to need to try to outscore these guys. And so you know, it's that especially held true once. Trey Sermon went out of the game, and, and Ohio State felt like that they weren't going to ha- be able to do the ball control type of offense against to keep Alabama's offense off the field. So that's another aspect of this. And I wanted to get your take. I mean, do you agree with that, or do you think that fans are correct that that, that Ohio State could have done something differently to try to stop Alabama? No, like so. While while you were wrapping up there, I, I went and pulled up. This this play in question, the the Devontae touchdown to Tough Borland over the middle of the field. So first of all, Smitty's in the in the inside slot of a trips uh, trips left formation, which is already difficult yes. just of, of its own accord, just based on where he is positionally. Like if you're if you're going to do like the perfect shadow thing where you you find your best corner, whoever that is, and put him on him all the time, then you're moving a cover guy into the inside of the formation, thus putting someone who isn't necessarily very good at stopping the run closer to the football. So, so there's the first formational issue that it it presents. You're, you're, if you're going to respect run, you're, you're kind of forced to put someone who isn't necessarily great at coverage on that part of the, of the formation where Devontae Smith is. There's your first issue. The second issue is you have Jaleel Billingsley, who we all know is the greatest tight end to ever play football, <laughs> as the far receiver on the right side of the formation. So just the, the formation and where guys are in the formation puts Ohio State in, in a bind because you have 
the best receiver in college football on the inside of a trips formation with a tight end on the opposite side of the formation as a perimeter receiver. So just where those guys are forces you to put players in different positions where they're not necessarily in situations that behoove them. And and to your point about just selling out to do one thing or the other against Alabama, like the only way you're, you're going to try or or have any hope for success of, of covering Alabama's receivers is if you're in dime or quarter, basically the entire game. And if you do that, you're just begging for, for Najee Harris to run 25 times for 185 yards and four touchdowns, you know, and I I just don't know what else you're, you're supposed to do there. You have to at least respect some run. And, and like you mentioned, hope that, that Mac throws a couple of incompletions that he otherwise wouldn't, which he, (laughs) he obviously didn't in, in this one, he completes 36 of 45 passes, no interceptions, uh, almost has as many touchdown passes as he has incompletions. He had <laughs> nine incompletions and, and five touchdowns in, in this one. So you're you're kind of forced to respect some run just in the hope that you can force some incompletions, or especially if you're Ohio State, you, you'd been pretty good at picking off passes coming into this game. They had six interceptions in their previous four games and they weren't necessarily a great pass defense team in the first place. So your, your hope was, was to pick some passes off and kind of force some, some, some change of possession and some uh, short fields for, for your offense that way. So you're incentivized to force the throw that way. And, well, and then Alabama brings a personnel grouping and a formation setup that, that just exposes you in, in that way. If anything, I think it's less about Kerry Combs getting uh, exposed in that game, which, you know, he did a little, but I, I think it's more about Steve Sarkeesian. I think you you tip your cap there saying that he's he's got this bevy of offensive weapons that can be used in a bunch of different ways, and he's smart enough to identify all of or, or most of the most dangerous ways or the most problematic ways that they can be used. And he did it. Exactly. And and here's the thing. Guess what LSU tried to do? They said, Ed Orgeron specifically said, we want to stop Devontae Smith. What happened? Devontae Smith went for eight catches for 231 yards and three touchdowns. But in Mm -hmm. their attempt to try to stop Devontae Smith, Najee Harris also averaged 6.9 yards per carry while almost having 150 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns. So it's like even if you try to give Devontae Smith all this extra attention to try to stop him, you still can't stop him. So might as well put a linebacker on him and say, well, they're beating us with him anyways. Let's give this attention that we would normally give to a guy like Devontae Smith to other areas to try to limit what they do. And, I mean, we'll just we'll take our chances that way. And that's why I say that uh, that Ohio State was in a no-win situation. It didn't matter what we've seen teams try to specifically stop Alabama's run, and you've seen the run game have t- a ton of success. We've seen teams specifically try to stop Alabama's run game. We've seen the passing game have a ton of success. We've seen teams try to take a balanced approach and try to do what they can to stop both aspects, and both aspects, by doing that, had success in those games. 
So it's like, what what did you want Ohio State to do? I can't blame the defensive coordinator. I can't blame the def- – and they were – you know, one of the big things that factors in here is, A, you know, and I I don't know how to say his name correctly, uh, Togai, um, Tommy Togai, he's – I just – I know names. I can I can spell them. I can write them, and I can see them on film as far as numbers are concerned. But he is more of their run stopping presence. He was not playing in this game due to COVID nineteen. You also had Tyreek Smith, another starter at defensive end. He was out because of uh, you know issues with COVID nineteen. And Haskell Garrett was questionable coming in with an injury, and so you know their defensive line was pretty depleted. And they had been good at stopping the run all year, but they had also been, you know, fairly good as far as having impactful pass rushers. And they were probably hoping the game plan going in um, was to, you know, uh, even though Alabama has a a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, the best offensive line in the country, their hope was to go in and and be able to get enough pressure on Mac Jones to, you know, uh, not allow him to have the kind of success that he had, but. It's just there was this this Alabama offense is impossible to defend. And much in the same way that LSU's was in 2019, you can try to do whatever it is that you want to do to try to limit it or stop it. You know, Auburn took that approach with with Joe Burrow and said we're going to drop seven eight guys uh, every single play, and they had a lot of success early against that LSU passing offense last year. But then LSU figured out, hey, we got a guy by the name of Claude Edwards Alaire ended up being the first running back taken in the draft. Uh, and, and we can run the football. We got a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. And so they just started gashing Auburn's defense by playing it that way. And Auburn eventually had to adjust, which allowed, you know, the typical standard passing offense to have success for LSU. So it's the same kind of concept. Uh, and you just, it's not even for Alabama. Alabama is going against an, an offense that has enough vulnerabilities, especially when you take Trey Sermon out of it, where you can say, okay, we can play this thing kind of straight up and hope that you know our defense can get these you know just a couple of key stops to make a difference in the game these other people that are going against an Alabama styled offense that's just loaded from top to bottom I mean what do you do even Jaleel Billingsley at tight end now you have a dynamic threat there that you can move around big body guy uh, can can play him as a perimeter receiver can play him as a big slot can play him as an inline tight end as a move tight end just kind of, I mean, it's just that was just another piece. And now you got Jalen Waddle, who's going to be commanding attention. I liked how Alabama got him involved fairly early, just to let you know Ohio State know, hey, he he's going to be a factor in this game. We don't plan on just throwing them out there and, and having him, you know, try to take away some of the coverage. If if you leave, if you present the opportunity, we're going to utilize him. So I just uh, I, I wanted to defend Combs because I feel like it was very unfair the way that he was being treated on social media. And I'm so used to doing it with Pete Golding. It was a very flawless uh, <laughs> defending. <laughs> Clint Lamb, defensive coordinator savior. Wherever there is a defensive coordinator being slandered, Clint Lamb will step up to save that person. Uh, not all heroes wear caves, Brett. It's true. It, it's it's really, really true. Um, I, I think the last comment I have on this game specifically, and as, as I said at the top, we'll get into – uh, bigger picture things like the legacy of this team and the whole Bear versus Saban debate and the whole last year's LSU versus this year's Alabama team debate and, and then even kind of some early look ahead to the 2021 roster and, and some de- decisions to know and, 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 and things like that. We'll get to all of that in, in some podcasts next week. But the, the final note on this game that, that I had was – 
look at Ohio State's drive chart. Um, for two turnovers on downs and a punt in in the fourth in the second half. So Ohio State had the ball four times in the second half. One touchdown, two turnovers on downs, and one punt. Did it all without Jordan Battle. Yep. Who took an unfortunate targeting ejection in the in the second quarter, which I feel like I need to clarify my 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 tweet on that. I I tweeted during the game that I, I very rarely hit the whole uh not much else he could have done in that situation there, but I, I felt like that was one of them because so I, I can't remember who, but some defender was like around what would typically be the strike zone, which is the the area in between the belt line and and the rib cage, or or maybe the sternum. That's typically a pretty good strike zone for a defender to, to be. And and Alabama, Alabama had one other guy kind of dragging on the tight end or, or wide receiver, whoever it was, kind of in that general area. So you can see where Jordan Battle wouldn't want to go there because he might hit his own player, but he, the, the receiver was also handling the ball. Like he had the ball in his hand. So Jordan had to do something about it. Like that just playing good defense had to do something about the wide receiver having a grab, but not like full grab of, of the ball. Right. So he had to do something. I, I understand trying to make a play on the ball there. Um, the the point of contact was was unfortunate. Where I feel like I need to clarify my in-game tweet was there is no excuse for going in with the crown of the helmet. There there is never an excuse for leading with the crown of the helmet. That part of the rule is, is frankly for more for defenders' safety than it is for the safety of of the ball carrier because that's where that's where defenders get hurt. That's what happened to Ryan Shazier, right? For, for, for the Steelers and and there are countless other examples in, in football history of, of that kind of thing happening with pretty bleeping disastrous results. So there is never an excuse for, for going in with the crown of the helmet and that I will not condone or excuse Jordan battle for, but the point of contact and the fact that he went for contact and basically everything else about the hit, I, I was more understanding of than, than I typically am. And, and, you know, this is not saying that Jordan battle was lazy, but it's the, it's the approach it, in those moments, you know, a, a, uh, James Skalski, you know, the week before, uh, when Ohio state played Clemson and he got ejected for the same thing. And what ends up happening is you it, defenders are taught to, aim lower you know that if you hit high if you hit helmet to helmet that's a penalty that causes brain trauma um i know a lot of receivers will sit here and tell you i tend to one rather you hit me in the head and me have a concussion and be out a couple of weeks than you hit me in the knee and, and tear something up and i'm out for the year and you know i might never be quite the same but at the same time the long-term damage and the way that football is perceived with with brain trauma um you know the guys are taught to go low and the lazy approach in that split second, and, and so I say it's a lazy approach, but you got to sink your hips more to hit your target area, not just dip your head to make sure that you're low enough to not make that helmet-to-helmet contact. And I think that's what ends up happening sometimes with those kind of hits is you got to do a better job of instinctively lowering your hips more for the explosive hit um, and hitting the target area that you're you're kind of going for. Just a couple 
couple of quick things to finish things up. Um, one of them I, I think will at least involve a little bit of a response for, from you because I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, but I wanted to give a couple of shout outs. A, Steve Sarkeesian, got to give him a ton of credit for staying focused. Uh, I thought he had an incredible game plan. He did not have any sort of issues like we've maybe seen from other coordinators in the past, you know, getting a head coaching job, being distracted. He was ready to help Alabama win a national championship, and he certainly did that. You got to give him a ton of props for that. You got to give a lot of props for Landon Dickerson, just for the, the leadership that he showed, the fact that he wanted to be out there. I'm, I'm very upset with him from the standpoint of, you know, you're out there in full pads and you're taking snaps, and I was like, there's no way he's going to play in this game. But how in the world is he out there doing that right now? Is it even possible? It, would this be the most miraculous thing we've ever seen? Even I, I fell for it, uh, but it was super cool. One of the coolest moments of any, you know, covering any sort of game that I've ever covered was watching him go out there for that last snap with the way that the team responded to him when he first got hurt and just the leadership ability that he's shown being a grad transfer coming in from Florida State. Uh, he took over this this uh, offense as far as being a leader and has been a huge part of Alabama's success the last two years. Got to give him a ton of credit. Christian Barmore, just an absolute terror defensively. Incredible performance. Um, I don't know if the guy, you know, before I was leaning towards him being a guy that came back, but he started peaking at the perfect time to really get the attention of NFL scouts. Um, I would not be surprised now if he ended up choosing to leave. That's not confirmed. I think probably right now, maybe it's, you know, even as, as much as 50 50 whether he comes back or not. But, you know, it's just uh, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for the way he looked against Notre Dame and the way he looked against Ohio State. Uh, but then the last one, the one that I fit, and you can respond to any of this if you want to very quickly, but just kind of hitting some bullet points, but just the Jalen Waddle return, the fact that he didn't have to come back, he wanted to come back. You can clearly tell it wasn't just that he was hindered necessarily by the ankle injury. It was the fact that, you know, it, it was clearly causing him pain. Um, and you know, the reason that I kind of wanted to get your responses, I've seen a lot of people, including, you know, if I'm not mistaken, some NFL players and stuff that were kind of attacking Alabama for allowing Jalen Waddle to be out there in the first place. And there was parts of the game, especially after that first catch, I think it went for 15 yards. I think it was a, a third down conversion. If I'm not mistaken, big play, but I was immediately like, okay, with the way he looks going out of bounds, get him out. Um, that's awesome that he was able to get that. Good for him for getting to play and makes you know some sort of impact, but think he you know it doesn't need to be playing. But as the the game went on, the broadcasters were talking about it. It's not that he's at any more risk for an injury. He didn't have confidence in his ankle, um, and they were claiming that he just it was a uh, he wasn't used to it. And for me, it's like you can, it's not just that he's not used to it. You can clearly tell that he's in pain. But the way I started looking at it was. You know, I've had a, a, a very severe sprained ankle and you tape that thing up, but you're not really at any more risk of it being a further injury or further injuring it. If you play, you're kind of expected, at least on the high school level, to, to play through those kind of injuries, even though it's it is kind of severe pain. So it, it, it could have been a situation where he had no more risk of, of having an ankle injury than Devontae Smith, who had no ankle problems going in. That might have been the case and why the, the medical staff cleared him and why Nick Saban was okay with it and why he wanted to play. It might have been purely a, you have no further risk of injuring it more 
by playing, but it's going to still cause you a lot of pain. So then it becomes a pain threshold factor. Can you play through it yourself? And so that's, that's what I think happened. I've seen a lot of people attack personally. I just put my trust in, I don't have the full picture. I'm not going to have the full picture, but I know that there's three parties that had the entire picture. That's Nick Saban, that's Jalen Waddle, and that's Alabama's medical staff. And all three of those came to the conclusion that Jalen Waddle was not only going to play in this game, but he was going to be used. And even despite the fact that he continued to show favoritism towards that ankle, they still allowed him to go out there. And I don't think that's them saying, you know what, we're risking your future so we can win a football game. I don't think that's what it was. I think that they knew something that we didn't as far as the, the, the chances of re-injury and things like that. So that's my thoughts on it. Do you want to respond to any of that? I know I hit, I hit you with a ton there, and I'm sorry, but just wanted to kind of do some quick pointers. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, so the the Waddle thing, I kind of had a similar inner dialogue watching pregame warm-ups because I, I left the press box and, and walked down into – the, the grandstands to, to be kind of closer to it and, and see it myself. And dude, it was, it was painful watching him. Like he was clearly scared to death to like stop hard on it. Like he would, he would kind of coast his jogs. Like there was, there was one. So if, if you've been to Alabama games recently and you've paid attention to warm ups you'll probably know this, the, the wide receivers, tight ends and running backs, they tend to warm up, in pads first by just catching pretty soft, like over, over the shoulder throws. Right. And right. When Waddle did that, he caught up the full speed. He caught it. He coasted his, his run, like almost all the way to the wall where, where the fans are like all the way deep into the sideline, because he was clearly just scared to death to stop on it, to come to a hard stop on it. And I mean, like it's hard to watch because he's clearly in pain or, or scared of doing some things. And it, it, I'm, I'm feeling like, dude, you should not play, man. Don't, don't do this to yourself. You're, you're four months away from being worth tens of millions of dollars. Like that's family changing genera- generational wealth. Don't, don't risk that for, for anything. But then I come back with the obvious counterpoint of this ain't your decision to make, dude. That's that's his call. You're you're not the one that that did everything with these these teammates and and developed these bonds and has all of that on the table for him. And so it's 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 his call, man. It's not it's not your call to make. So I found myself having a a pretty similar inner dialogue um, watching Waddle warm up for for the game and, and, and Saban said after that they tried to use him in as many straight line situations as possible where he wouldn't have to make a bunch of cuts and, and shifts and, and things like that so that he could avoid doing some of the things that hurt or, or he wasn't able to do very well at the time. So uh, glad he was able to, to do his thing and, and have a, a few plays in, in that game. He caught, Three passes for 34 yards. Glad he was able to, to do his thing and get out of there uh, relatively healthy. So so good on him. Glad he did it. I, I also thought the Landon Dickerson snap was and saga was one of the the coolest moments of 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 the game uh, as well. And and on Sark, 
I said this several times leading up, and this is clearly just rooted in, in not knowing him personally. And, and I think a lot of this, a lot of people felt the, the same way, or maybe not felt the same way. I think a lot of people, the only thing you knew about Sark personally uh, was obviously his his uh, previous battles with, with alcoholism going back to his time at USC. What I've learned about Sark since then is that he and Saban have somewhat similar worldviews. They they view football, they view organizing football like the the kind of uh, being the CEO of of things that approach to that job and in somewhat similar ways. So I was not surprised to see him handle this duty well and and bring the the proper amount of attention and respect to it. I was not surprised to see him handle it as maturely and professionally as he did because I kind of saw in how they approach football in his two years at Tuscaloosa that they they view things in in the same ways in in a lot of senses so I wasn't surprised to see him do it but it was good to see him do it because you, you hate that kind of what if not just based on result of of win or loss or or whatever you just hate to have any result muddied by by that kind of deal. So it, it was good that you don't have that variable in this anymore. You you got what you thought you would get, and you don't have to worry about that going future in the going forward and and, and reckoning with the legacy of this team, which we will do next week. You don't have to introduce any unnecessary variables like that because Steve Sarkeesian had the maturity and understanding to go about this the way that that everyone involved wanted him to except maybe ohio state <laughs> yeah i mean i completely agree um so i think that that kind of wraps up the national championship review recap episode fairly nice um we've now officially hit the off season we made it i can't believe we made it there were several points <laughs> that, that i didn't think we were going to make it so just being here, man, uh, and getting to do all these episodes with you and, and make it through a college football season. And, you know, last year when we really got into the thick of things and started doing this podcast together, um, you know, Alabama didn't even make the college football playoffs. So getting to experience that for the first time and doing this podcast with you, getting to talk about those matchups was just an absolute blast. I know that, you know, me and you both, we, we really appreciate the listeners and all they contribute. Um, the fact that they listen in, they can, they, they hit us up with questions, they give us shout outs and we certainly appreciate that. So this has been a lot of fun. It's not over this. It is not the off season for us. We will continue pressing on. We'll get some, some baseball podcasts, some basketball podcasts. We're still going to be doing at least one football podcast a week, breaking down rosters and doing all those things that Brett said uh, earlier. So it's not like the content's going anywhere. It's just, you know, as far as reacting to games and previewing games, that's going to be put on, on the, uh, on hiatus for, for a little while, but we'll be back soon enough. And, uh, Brett, I really appreciate you, brother. All right. Well, uh, we'll get into some of the big picture stuff next week. Absolutely. All right. This has been another episode of the Bama beat podcast brought to you by Wickles pickles and home field apparel. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of, uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.